Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of M's Drive-In. I'm your host, Emily, bringing you into the exciting world of cinema with some behind-the-scenes facts and everything you need to know about some of the best artists in the business. Today's episode is all about Drew Barrymore's electrifying film, Ever After. I hope you all enjoy, and let's get right to it. Before we dive into the film, I think it's very important to give another perspective on the history of the fairy tale genre. Ever After is a version of Cinderella, but it's a very different version of Cinderella than what we're used to. And it goes back to these ideals and these values that these classic Disney princess movies have had on young women and young girls over the years and throughout different generations and different decades over time. The biggest issue with classic fairy tale movies, specifically classic Disney princess movies, is the unrealistic expectations and the unrealistic standards that these films have on young women. Oftentimes, these films depict females as weak and submissive, and by the end of the film, they always end up with a man or have this ideology where they need a man to save them, Therefore, it's implying that women can't think or feel for themselves. And in a lot of ways, these types of movies teach young girls to have an image that fits a societal view of what a princess should look like. And most of the time, this view is Caucasian and skinny. And these body types are definitely harmful to other cultural values because every person is different, every person's personality is different, and body type is different. And we should be celebrating different kinds of cultures, different kinds of looks, different kinds of ideologies instead of sticking to one standard societal look. With this lack of diversity in cultural values comes this promotion of a toxic perspective when it comes to self-worth and self-image. Young girls become heavily dependent on quote-unquote being saved because all of the princesses depicted in film are often seen to be objectified by men in one way or the other and it also conforms to stereotypical values of gender because it highlights the woman's place in the home providing for a man and those power dynamics often reflect the male dominant standards that males have over females and how those relationships coexist with each other therefore that portrays a very unrealistic portrait of romance Disney princess films often showcase the girl getting the guy and how that coexists with love at first sight. The second somebody sees a guy, they fall in love with the guy and believe that they're meant to be together rather than getting to know a person or working through a kind of relationship. Above all, women in these films have to have a certain level of attraction to them, which again creates very unrealistic beauty and body standards. Because oftentimes you don't see Disney princesses that have bigger figures or have acne. They're always looking very pristine and pretty, and they don't come with that added emotional or physical baggage of worrying about how they look or their personality as far as how they will attract other people in their lives. I'm a big believer in authentic storytelling, especially when it comes to film. I think we've definitely come a long way as far as diversity goes just in general, but there's always still a long way to go. And Ever After is such an amazing example because this film came out in 1998. 
And a lot of the women in this film do carry a certain amount of agency and carry a certain amount of assertive energy that radiates throughout the story in ways that you don't see a lot in other Disney princess films. And I think it's a very important film to be able to discuss, especially in today's day and age where we still see women being objectified or sexualized in some way. And this is a really great example of women taking back their own agency and being assertive with what they want. Now moving on to our film, Ever After, A Cinderella Story. This movie was written by Susanna Grant, Andy Tennant, and Rick Parks, and was directed by Andy Tennant. This movie is about the Brothers Grimm who arrive at the home of a wealthy grand dame who speaks of the many legends surrounding the fable of the Cinder Girl before telling the true story of her ancestor. The themes of this movie are social class, authority, identity, and female agency. According to the chapter, The Shoe Still Fits, Ever After, and the Pursuit of a Feminist Cinderella, in the book Fairy Tale Films, written by Christy Williams, the chapter states, Ever After assumes a feminist stance but offers a mass-mediated idea of feminism, where individual women can be strong and achieve equality through personal actions that do not, however, challenge or change the underlying patriarchal structure of society. This limited perspective, which draws on girl power and liberal feminism, reinforces patriarchal authority by emphasizing individual achievements and isolating one woman, the heroine, as an exception to standard feminine behavior. This quote leads us into our first theme of social class. Social class in this context is related back to the patriarchy in the Renaissance era. During this era, each household represented a smaller kingdom where the man acted as king. But in the film, this idea is immediately subverted. Danielle was raised by her father, August, as a single parent. And after his death, her stepmother, Ronmilla, runs the home. Therefore, this does undermine that male patriarchal structure... Because now Ronmilla, as a female, is coming in to the home and running things the way that a male would. And we see immediately that women in this film are taking on more dominant male roles. There is also a clear difference between the higher ranks and the lower ranks. Ronmilla immediately establishes herself as a higher rank to Danielle and the rest of the servants in the home. It is very clear from the start of the film that she holds the authority due to a specific ranking that Danielle has lost. Danielle has lost this ranking because Ronmilla really married Danielle's father for his money and for his wealth. And now that he is no longer alive, she obviously is taking full ownership of a certain amount of wealth and prosperity because Ronmilla and her daughter Marguerite clearly value a higher social class. Danielle's perspective is very different because, yes, she is clearly unhappy with this new role as a servant, but at the same time, she does take on her own assertive authority within both the lower and the upper class. An example of this is when Danielle rescues Maurice, who is a slave that Ronmilla has sold. She uses one of her mother's dresses and takes on her mother's name to establish credibility as a royal figure. 
And in a way, this has a lot of resemblance and a lot of symbolism to taking on an abandoned life as a hierarchy. Because if her father and her mother were still alive, Danielle would still have a certain amount of social rank within a higher value. And now that they're gone, she has to take on a new identity. And she's establishing herself in a totally different world in order to obtain some kind of familiarity with a higher class. The character of the prince, Prince Henry, in this film is also a very different character from the other princes that we see in classic Disney princess films. When Danielle meets Prince Harry, he is trying to steal one of her horses, and she is dressed as a servant. And then when they meet again, she is rescuing Maurice, and she is dressed as a courtier. And this does allow her to bend the rules of social class by creating a smaller kingdom of her own, where she can choose how she wishes to identify. And she does this on her own terms without the influence of Vernmilla. The chapter continues to state, while not calling it girl power, Jack Zibes takes issue with this representation of feminism in contemporary fairy tales, claiming that the majority of fairy tales produced for children and adults pay lip service to feminism by showing how necessary it is for young and old women alike to become independent without challenging the structural embodiment of women and all of the institutions that support the present socioeconomic system. This quote leads us into the theme of authority. Rodmilla and Prince Henry hold the dominant hand within their social class because they are both attached to wealth and privilege. With that being said, Danielle doesn't hold the same values because she doesn't act like a typical young woman of that time. She's climbing rocks, she swims in the lakes, she definitely isn't considered to be ladylike. And by assuming this tomboyish position, she takes on a new authority because she doesn't allow the differences in hierarchy to sway any of her beliefs. And this symbolizes that she is an individualist, and she does have a strong sense of self, which allows her to trust her own morals. She becomes independent throughout the film by challenging the female structure of her time instead of conforming to that socioeconomic system that often pities women against each other simply because of their social class. Ranmilla does have a specific level of hatred towards Danielle because of August's death, and she does treat Danielle as this kind of leftover person of what she wanted with August rather than acting as a mother figure for Danielle. That aspect of the film is definitely one of the saddest because you really see Danielle yearning for some type of female parental figure in her life and the only person that takes on that role or takes on that kind of authoritative position is somebody that is really only in it for the wealth and for the power and obtaining some type of remembrance of who they are based on status rather than forming genuine connections with the people around them. And Danielle is definitely more of a genuine person that values her relationships. And that is what makes her such a special character. The chapter continues to state, 
Mary Ann Joan describes hyperfemininity as a masquerade that distanced the female spectator from the on-screen amplified expression of femininity, this constituting an acknowledgement that is femininity itself which is constructed as a mask, a decorative layer which conceals a non-identity. This quote brings us into the theme of identity. Identity and hyperfemininity are very linked in this movie because hyperfemininity is described in simpler terms as using strong female qualities to maintain relationships. And Danielle uses this to establish her relationship with Henry as a courtier, but feels he won't accept her as a servant because of her social class and strong ideals. We come to find out that Henry is very taken aback by Danielle's unapologetic personality because he is in the middle of getting ready to be in an arranged marriage. And obviously he's marrying into a life and marrying an individual that, again, is obtaining certain values and certain social statuses that he doesn't want to be a part of. So to be able to meet someone like Danielle, who is just as outspoken and unapologetic as he is, is very new to him. And we see as an audience very quickly that there is that kind of attraction that they have for each other because they are both on the same wavelength as far as having a lot of enlightenment ideals. With that being said, Danielle for Henry is very much a reminder of how badly he wants to break away from his own higher rank. He is definitely somebody that yearns to be his own individual and yearns to go outside of his royal status. And he's able to find that in Danielle because they both are able to find freedom within their deep connection with each other. And we come to find out that they both share the same passions and ambitions to break away from the constraints of their own worlds. And they wish to become people who think and feel for themselves without the influence of their social ranks. Leonardo da Vinci is another really interesting character in this film. Because yes, he is an icon in the worlds of art, but in this movie his character does act as the male fairy godmother type figure for both Danielle and Henry, and he encourages both of them to act on their own morals that reflect their own true individual selves. And in a lot of ways, Da Vinci is also a really great representation of Enlightenment views because he creates these contraptions and he paints portraits and he really does encourage free thinking and creativity at a time when both were stifled by the restraints of society in general. And he's a really great symbol of becoming an authoritative figure for embracing identity. The chapter continues to state, The Grand Dame mimics the narrative patterns of classic fairy tales in telling her story, but at the same time grants authority to them. She begins her story with, Once upon a time, there lived a young girl who loved her father very much, a phrase that immediately establishes Danielle in relationship to a patriarchal figure. This quote leads us into the theme of female agency. The Grand Dame establishes 
the opening lines of the movie as a way of giving some historical context because that historical context highlights the patriarchy in a renaissance society and it gives the audience a really great glimpse into the life of an older time. I think the opening lines of this film are a really really great starting point for the story because Danielle loved and admired her father as a patriarchal figure but August also encouraged enlightenment ideals and enlightenment views. He didn't raise Danielle to lack any kind of self-expression or free thought. He really educated her through books and through experiences and ended up raising a very well-rounded woman to think freely and passionately without any limitations. And because of that, Danielle is able to reinvent her life to fit the morals she believes in. And as much as she tries to please Ramilla, she realizes that she can be her own savior and she doesn't deserve to be a victim to Ron Miller's toxic ways. Another really great character in the film is Danielle's stepsister Jacqueline. Ron Miller has two children, Jacqueline and Marguerite. Marguerite is the one that is very much on Ron Miller's side and kind of follows her around like a little puppy and does everything that her mom does and acts just like her mother while Jacqueline is much nicer and treats Danielle the way that sisters should treat each other and there's a great genuine kind of humility between them. My favorite thing about the relationship between Jacqueline and Danielle is that it's a great representative of what a familial relationship should be. Jacqueline is also a character that takes back her own agency in a lot of ways because she's able to carve her own path, which also isn't dictated by her mother and her sister because they share completely different values. I think the ending of this film is really, really beautiful because we come to find out that Danielle essentially finds her own chosen family with Henry as her lover, Jacqueline as her sister, and Da Vinci as her father figure. And we come to find out that Henry and Danielle are together on their own terms, and they end up building a life together where their values are molded by their love and passions as individualists, rather than following social rules. I personally think that this film is the best version of Cinderella that I have seen because it's really all about women taking back their own power and carving their own paths. And it's not so much about people being led into situations where that is the norm. When we think about the classic version of Cinderella, it's really more about them going to a ball and the prince finding a glass slipper and putting it on Cinderella's foot and them being together without them really knowing each other. They literally just met and all of a sudden the slipper fits and they get married. Whereas in this film, we really see Danielle and Henry get to know each other as people and we really do go on this journey with them where we are integrated into their life and integrated into what they believe in and finding out that they believe in the same things and have the same values really helps you root for them as characters and as people and I think that that's what makes this film so amazing is that it really is about people getting to know each other in genuine and authentic ways of course in regards to social class while being able to keep the time period very much alive because the production design and the costume design is also very relevant to the Renaissance period itself.
Now moving on to some fun facts. Drew Barrymore has stated that this film is the favorite of all of her films. As depicted in the film, the real Leonardo da Vinci kept the Mona Lisa with him all of the time until his death. The pale blue dress Danielle wears the day she and Henry visit the monastery is the exact same dress Marguerite refused to wear to the ball because 50 other girls will be wearing the exact same color. During a breakfast scene, the stepsisters make a comment on how Danielle is covered in soot, ash, and cinders, as she has slept next to the fireplace. This is a subtle nod to the fairy tale, where she is given the derogatory nickname Cinderella by her stepfamily as an insult, only for her to reclaim the name for herself. Now moving on to some movie recommendations. First up, we have James Gray's new film, Armageddon Time. This was a really interesting and amazing film that highlighted the great disconnect of race and culture in the 70s in particular. I think that James Gray did a really excellent job of differentiating the dynamics between certain cultures and certain races and the types of societal issues that take place within those different types of contexts. I thought it was incredibly interesting and I think that the cast is amazing. Anthony Hopkins plays the grandfather role in this movie and he reminds me a lot of my own grandfather which I thought was absolutely incredible and Anne Hathaway plays the mother and she takes on a very emotional heavy hitting role in this film. For anybody that's really interested in societal films films that highlight specific societal issues within history and how certain cultures and certain race relations intertwine, this is a really great film to watch. Next up, we have Dudley Moore and Mary Tyler Moore in the film Six Weeks. This film was a very, very sweet watch. Mary Tyler Moore plays a mother of a young girl who is dying of cancer, and Dudley Moore plays the politician who befriends them. And it's basically about how they create their own little family together, and they live inside this own little world where it's just the three of them against a larger society. And I think that Dudley Moore and Mary Tyler Moore have excellent, excellent chemistry together. And this was another really great example of a more serious role that they both took on. We see Dudley Moore and Mary Tyler Moore be known for comedic roles and comedy films in general. And to see them take on a more serious role, especially in a more familial film like this, was really, really great to see. Last but not least, we have Xavier Dolan's film, It's Only the End of the World. This film is at a slower pace, but at the same time, it is incredibly meditative because it's about a young man coming home after he's had an estranged relationship from his family. And on top of that, he's dying of cancer. So you have these really interesting, different dynamics going on throughout the movie because there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of resentment within the family structure. But at the same time, you're dealing with this hardcore health crisis that you're trying to get acceptance and some kind of closure from. And I think the cast did a really amazing job of pinpointing how different this family dynamic was because it's Leah Sadu and Marion Cotillard and Vincent Cassell and Gaspard Yuyel and basically all of these French 
performers who are really at the top of their game. I mean, these are some of my favorite French actors coming together to create a really intimate, familial piece of work. And it was incredibly meditative and incredibly emotional to be able to see that. As our time together comes to an end, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to M's Drive-In. I'm your host, Emily, bringing you into the exciting world of cinema with some behind-the-scenes facts and everything you need to know about some of the best artists in the business. Keep an eye out for our next episode on the beautiful collaborations between director Lassie Halstrom and music composer Rachel Portman.